All right, welcome back. Episode 23 of the Young Old Heads podcast, where we try to bring a young, fresh perspective on an old hobby. I'm one of your hosts, Tommy, aka TV Sports Cards. I'm here with my good friend, my card soulmate, Max, aka Cards Max, aka Cards Wax, Cards Max Unlimited Worldwide Sapphire Edition, Logo Fractor Edition. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing good. You really had a lot of points for that intro logo <laughs> fractors cards wax cards um, cards a wax young, a young perspective for an old hobby i like that as a subtitle a I've, bra- I've started a few, ep- and I started a few episodes with that one i just decided to bring it back this to this one well you have me blown away <laughs> and i'm doing good it is a monday monday episode and when we have monday episodes that means both of us are very busy yeah. It, cards wise, of course. Obviously, always cards business. Business yeah. is cards, cards is business. But we all know, like, you know, oh, sure, you have your Monday, Friday work week, and then Saturday, you know, you have off, and then Sunday, you have off in a you prototypical nine to five setting. I wouldn't know. And then <laughs> yeah. on, you know, Saturday, that's a card day. And then Sunday, that's a card day. Usually, you don't have both of them be busy card days. But I know I was at my local shows Saturday and Sunday. I know you were at Las Vegas on Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday I was in LA at Kimball's F1 trade night. Um, so that's that's a lot of cards. So was the show cards. going on Friday, Saturday? Show was Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Okay, which, Thursday uh, wasn't just dealer setup. No, Thursday was a full fledged day. Um, Vegas was a very interesting show, though. Um, I think. It, it showed me a lot about where we're at, I think, in the card world and the, the market and also just like how shows, I think, need to be marketed. And I think the Vegas show was marketed as a national show. It was going to be, you know, dealers from all over coming there. It was going to be a big thing. I think they tried to do a lot of marketing, a lot of like graphics promoting who the dealers are, who the sponsors are. Uh, I went with Ludex. We sponsored the trade night. The trade night was Friday night. And it was in this like rooftop room with a lot of tables and chairs. It was actually really dope. Uh, there was a great view and there's like a bunch of food. It was, we ran it with game day sports cards, which is like a big breaking operation out of Vegas. Um, the trade night was really fun. All the dealers were there and there was a lot of deals being made. I know I talked to Ryan's cards for a little bit. I talked to my man, Delco rips Alex for a while. Um, but the show itself was tough. I think for dealers, there was very, very little foot traffic. The venue itself was really nice, but I think it was a way it was totally out on its own and like kind of like a convention center type way. Um, And there was basically no foot traffic. And what that showed me is that I think in order to have a big national show, you really need to have that regional footing with people that just collect cards in the area. It seemed like no one in Vegas really was there as just like a collector um very little foot traffic any deals that i heard of or saw made were basically between dealers so so just so that i understand the perspective when you say no foot traffic how much larger was the foot traffic relative to the monthly ludic show in chicago uh i mean the, the thing with the ludic show is that it's probably like a fourth of the size in terms oh of- yeah no i'm just trying to get a perspective of like yeah. using that as a baseline yeah for sure i think honestly i think the ludic show had more foot traffic than this Vegas show, even That's though the Vegas good. show is four times the size with dealers. Yes, not and good. And what about compared to Midwest Monster or the B Cards show? Yeah, or and the Ship Show on it, Ship Show on it. Yeah, and the in the Chicago one. Yeah. 
fractions, traffic. fractions of the foot traffic dude. That's like i was interesting i was chilling talking to dealers for 10 plus minutes without anyone else even coming over to look at their case for a second that's really interesting yeah and very little uh dudes running around with briefcases for like dudes just walking the show i know i talked with rohan slab mafia sports who we put out like a little clip with on our social he good was clip. he was walking around yeah good clip we talked a little bit about the differences between like a west coast show and an east coast show this was really my first west coast show this vegas show and i could definitely tell the difference between like the products that were out in terms of what people were trying to sell there's a lot more basketball a lot more modern stuff uh than i'm used to in a midwest uh, east coast show that has a little bit more vintage presence so that was interesting to t- get his perspective and just talk about that difference. But seemed like the only way to make a d- killing at the show is if you were buying um, as someone walking around c- just because of how slow it was. Dealers were a little bit desperate to liquidate some stuff. That's a good, I guess, synopsis on everything that went down. Would you say I'm going to say something? I'm going to try not to sound like a broken record from last week where I was very critical on the East Coast National as well as the ownership of the National. I know the, the National is owned by a um, person who does my local show and the Hofstra shows. I think, I think the National is changing hands. From it is. I'm hands. saying the new hands that are taking it. Oh, the new hands. Okay. It's half the people that run my local shows on Long Island and the Hofstra show and Rockland County East Coast National. And the other half is the promoter of the Philly show. And... I know there's been speculation that we could be having a much larger West Coast show presence simply because more and more people are progressively getting into the hobby from the West Coast. Even when we're looking at geographic trends, the more East Coast heavy shows are more have a stronger vintage presence, while Dallas is, more, is the king show of modern. The Burbank show, which I think had three to 4,000 people travel to it, is a West Coast show and, from my impression, was entirely modern. The Las Vegas show, which, please correct me if I'm wrong, as I was not an attendee there, was... You're it's, muted, Tommy. I know, I know. You're clicking a lot. Like you're clicking, sound, I will, your sound I'm, sounds like it's I'm clicking. wearing a very great quarter zip. Yeah, so just it's be careful. Thingy, I think your zipper is making more sound than your Yeah. Voices. Okay, zipper adjusted. I will be holding my mic so that I have pristine BGS 10 audio quality. But... Even with that, I think we're just having a larger and larger presence of people from the West Coast. The Las Vegas show in general, it's a dichotomy between trying to get people come from out of your region to visit your show, which is oftentimes where a lot of the money is also coming in to be transacted, as well as getting a strong local presence in an area. And with the Las Vegas show not happening too, too frequently, I imagine balancing both is difficult, but also necessary. Yeah, he. so I know that it's the second time the show has happened. There is another Vegas card show that happens like at another time in the year. Um, but I think with the Ledex show is a good comparison just because like it's a new show. We're trying to start something different. And our whole goal with the first few is not to have like this national presence of dealers coming from all over and promoting it a ton on social media. The whole strategy is to build this local following, get word of mouth in the local area really positive about the show and what we're doing so that when we do come out with like a bigger show with like, you know, 300 plus tables, 400 plus tables, more promotion on social media that at, at the very least, we know that we have this good local support that so that dealers are getting some eyes on their stuff that they don't get at every other show. I think 
with this national of nationalization of card shows, you get so many of the same dealers traveling to the same shows that even though they're traveling, they're not really getting fresh eyes on their stuff. Um, so I a hundred percent empathize with that on a local level. Yeah. You have the, op- I feel like you get, you have a different perspective. Cause like, I don't really go to every single local Chicago show. I go to the big ones and I know I need to make, there's like a non-sports show that I need to get to. And there's a couple other local ones that happen every month that I haven't really been out to yet, but at least on these kind of like regional shows, I've been seeing that a lot. So I think that's worth saying for that show, but just like showing how you can grow a show differently and like the strategies that you have to take. I think Vegas kind of swung and missed a little bit. That's interesting because from my impressions, it seemed like Vegas was a show where it's worth, it seemed like it was a show that had the garner of the attention that was worth traveling to. Obviously don't spoil your secrets, but I'm sure in the Ludex headquarters, you're deciding, okay, how do I evaluate whether a show is worth traveling to both from an enjoyment perspective and as a sponsor. And hopefully I'm looking at myself here that I am now at the point where I'm evaluating is a show worth traveling to. I was at Springfield, Massachusetts last week. I enjoyed it. I didn't kill it, but I made enough to pay for the table and take a little take home as well. Maybe it would have been a little bit better had I just been a walker rather than setting up at a table, but I made it worthwhile, but that was five hour train ride each way, which I don't mind. I can go through the grunt work of going on the train. It was a five hour train commute, which is, you know, a commute for, oh no, I just said that it was a $40 train ticket. Five hours. Each way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Five hours, five hours, $40 Amtrak, $10 train ticket. It was really like a hundred bucks commute plus hotel. It's like, yeah. okay, I can swallow that. I, my expectations were a little bit too high on the show. It was a 300-ish table show, so not killer. But I know, okay, I have Chantilly in the, area, in the same type of range, except that's south. And I know if I plan in the head, that's going to be about the same rates. And that's my evaluation of is something worthwhile. I'm looking more at the East Coast shows like Philly and Springfield and um, the aforementioned Chantilly. And then okay, well, Dallas has is the mecca of modern sports cards and is the show to go to outside of the national for modern cards. It, well, the, is the fight worth it? And then once we're getting into this farthest level of where I both need a flight and it's not Dallas or the national, is it worth it? And I think there is a strategy and a mechanism and a science to digesting if a show is likely worth it and then comparing it to your results. Yeah, I think we talked a lot about like how we decide on shows and stuff, but I think what, my decision my main, is go to all of them. That's within driving distance. My decision yeah. making is not the best. When you're gr- when you're the grind king, you're the king of grinding. But I think show. I think just something to keep an eye on in the show world is just how some of them are trying to be these national shows, trying to be like Dallas, trying to mimic Dallas and stuff. Um, but really, Dallas doesn't even really have that much promotion. Dallas's main marketing is word of mouth. And I think that that's the most effective way of growing a show is not by just declaring yourself a 400 table national show. It's by starting smaller, growing that regional presence, gaining the trust of your local collectors, and then expanding from there when you see opportunities. Um, I know with Vegas, my main takeaways are national shows. You need to be need to understand their history a little better i think is really important um but also a main takeaway is that the show is bad but trade night was awesome and i think trade nights 
are kind of the feature of the hobby, honestly. Like, I think the feature of the hobby is not four-day-long shows. It's, like, once-a-month trade nights in big cities. I think Bleaker does it well, where they do these trade nights at their shop in the city. And I don't... Honestly, it's just more democratic. It's a little more fun. It's a better environment. Um, I think it's just easier to have fun at a trade night than a show. But also, trade nights are where you make connections, where you meet people, where I have picked up some of my best stuff ever. So just take it for granted. And also, just like if you want to go to a show, you don't have to go to the full 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 show. You can just go to you know pick a day, pick a trade night, something like that. But And just my marketing head, trade nights are what I want Ludex to invest in a little bit. And I want to partner with some cool people to do some young old heads trade nights at some point in the future. Um, So keep an eye on on that. That's for sure. I can say clear cut. I went to two of my local shows this weekend. Again, I don't want to just trash them, but it was the same dealers consistently. And for the first time I went to a card show on Saturday, I did not buy a single card. I went to a card show on Sunday I did not buy a single card. These are like 50-ish table shows, maybe a little bit larger. I know, but these are shows that have a consistent traffic and aren't in the middle of fuck, fuck nowhere. I can swear on this podcast. I forgot. You can swear on this podcast. I was looking for a better word choice, but I'll stick with butt fuck. Butt fuck nowhere where there's you know <laughs> no tables and it's all garbage. But I can say that for the first time in six weeks, Bleaker Trading is having a trade night and I will be there at worst to socialize and I hate the business and money connotation, but network better yet socialize with other people that like cards and that I've known because some of us are just diehards that go to every single one of these. And I can say that I'll probably have more success there than at my local show at this point. Part of it is fatigue. One of the themes that I was thinking of heading into the show is that I, maybe it's personal, maybe it's overall enthusiasm for the market. We have PSA open at bulk and for the first time consistently in a few months, I think we've had this since September, early September. And I'm just so pessimistic. I look at, I spend an hour a day, every day, religiously looking at eBay listings. I'm like, I look at the few cards that I like. I'm like, oh, all of these are probably scuffed. I don't want to do this. Oh, it's baseball. We're entering playoffs. Not a good time to buy baseball. Oh, it's football. I don't know anything. And I know my quarterback can lose value in a week. Oh, it's basketball. I'm going to missing up on the high. So maybe part of it is negative and that baseball's back and that everyone is submitting stuff again and that I'm fatigued from my local shows, but I'm trying to find the light in the hobby right now. I think I think you're feeling something that a lot of people are feeling. I think card show fatigue is definitely setting in. I know the Midwest monster this week had very low foot traffic as well. I think that we have reached saturation on card shows. I think we need to there needs to be some sort of cutting. I think there'll be a natural, you know, survival of the fittest to card shows. I'm not too worried about that. But I agree with you, man. I I got some good hobby love. I had a good conversation this weekend when I was in. So I was in LA on Saturday night at a, our boy. At a trading, trade night. At a trade night. It was more, much more with, of a hangout vibe than it King was a trade Kimble. night. King love Kim, Kimble. Kimble, the man, the man himself, the man, the myth, the legend. Check out his episode with us if you uh, haven't heard that one yet. It's a great one. But I was talking. To reference it. And another one. And that, I'm actually prefacing a previous episode guest with another conversation I had with another episode guest. <laughs> Ryan uh, Playboy Cards was at Kimball's uh, trade night. And I was talking to Ryan about the same exact thing this weekend about kind of this fatigue he is feeling and like 
how sometimes he's feeling super optimistic. Sometimes he feels really pessimistic about where the market's at. I think he, like us, is like kind of on the same path of like, he's filled that, figured out what his lane is in the hobby that he can make money in and he's kind of sticking to it. And I think that's something that you kind of see, but also, you know, grow slowly, gradually buying different stuff. Like I know he bought like some Pele vintage card at the PWCC auction last night. So, but I think the fatigue, I think the key though, the key, and this is me and his takeaway is just like, don't forget about the people as, as like the main thing in the hobby, keep making those connections, keep meeting people. And the more people you meet, and like have genuine conversations with the more deals you're going to make and the more fun and the better you're gonna, like the better, the more you're going to take away from the hobby, I think is what we kind of ended our conversation with kind of enough. It's hard to stay optimistic all the time and you're never going to be optimistic all the time, but just that's, giving yourself opportunities to feel optimistic by meeting people and hearing what they're doing. That's a great wholesome way of viewing it. Um, I guess on a brighter note, I'm trying to look at shows that, are good at foot traffic at least in my long island new york area and i know the jersey state show the garden state show ran by blaz nyc very good foot traffic very good promoter and that was one of not only financially one of the best shows but i was talking to more people i was doing trades with walkers on the carpet floor and i had fun and that was a lot of fun so good shows that are promoted that do have people on the floor with briefcases as much as a stigma that Zion case holders have, I do think it is an easy way. It allows you to be palatable and social when you know someone has cards in their case. Just getting rid of the approach anxiety. No, we're at a bar, we're at a card show, and everyone here has trading cards. You can go up to them and say, hey, what's in your briefcase? Yeah, I agree. The As much as we do hate on the, the briefcases, I do agree. They take away some of your anxiety. But, Max, I'm tired of talking about these card shows. We're done talking great, about shows. We're I done. want to segue into something else um, yes. or just touching on something that I mentioned. In the accommodation of me thinking about fatigue and saying, okay, I really, really know baseball ultramodern, like, let's say, you know, which is what I like and enjoy the most. And, okay, well, I can only buy so much Vlad Guerrero and Tatis Yikes. Ronald Acuna Jr. cards. That was tough. Not Fernando And I buy Fernando Tatis too. It gets tiring. There's only so many variants. There's only so many parallels. And we've seen half of them before. I'm trying, or at least may make the concentrated effort to tell myself to get into vintage, which is a massive rabbit hole. Part of it out of financial gain and just knowing that at some of my local shows, I'm immediately eliminating a third of the tables just because I have no idea. I mean, football and basketball, I can at least get a certain value range. You could give me a book in Portuguese and I'll understand it more than the vintage at some of these people's tables. So I'm starting by just very lackadaisically looking at cards and prices. Mantle's easiest to get into because maybe he has the most liquidity and modern presence of just, okay, this is a, you know, a 1.5 PSA, but this is selling above this price and this one's selling below that price. And that involves net 54 forms reading. And I am going to try and stay diligent in my self-education of vintage cards. Part of it, I was saying the first, out of financial gain. Part of it out of just respect for collecting and the hobby. And this is our roots. They're not, as I've said before, when I've been bullish on Pokemon, they're not making any more 1999 Charizard, and that was 20 years ago. They're not making any more 1800s Allen and Jinter or 1948 Leaf or 1949 Bowman. 
once you know this stuff, it's more crystallized and I'll have that knowledge ideally forever. So I feel like starting that foundation for an understanding of how values maintained as well as enjoyment and to keep myself with something fresh is something to do that I'm going to try and jump into the swimming pool with. You can check back in with me next week and how, if I make it to the deep end or not. I think every week we should just have a check-in with you, Max, on how your vintage education is going. I know I don't really I, like learn. I don't really spend too much time looking into vintage stuff, except when it's like individual people and cards, like individual golfers or random non-sport people or whatever. Um, but it's a world that I think everyone who collects cards inevitably gets sucked into at some point just because of the history and I think the more you learn about vintage cards, the more knowledgeable you are about modern cards too, just by knowing, you know, what has sustained value over time. What, how can I adjust this perspective for modern buying? Uh, I'll, I want to, I'll just be poking you about that in episodes to come, but I want to hear about your PWCC auction time you had. Did you, was there anything you saw last night that intrigued you? Anything that you almost bought? Anything that you did buy? There were some interesting things that went for sale. I was out of the house, so I didn't land anything killer. But I was, I was at the bar with my glass of water, with my non-alcoholic water on the rocks, looking at the auctions during extended bidding. No wins. Something that caught my eye that I brought and I tweeted a little bit about was that a Wander Franco clear acetate out of 10 BGS 9 sold for $3,700. Uh, I believe the preseason sales were, there were two preseason sales. I think it was one at 18,000 and the other at 15,000 or one at 15,000 and the other at 12,000. So that is a massive discount from what it was in preseason. And then I compared it to a Ansu Fati Super Fractor Tops Chrome one of one from 2020 Tops Chrome that ended at 3,600. So pretty much the same two very rare cards two completely different cards from different sports that ended at give or take one or two percent i gotta go check my math there yeah that's give or a, take. That's, a, that's that was your first eric whiteback tweet <laughs> well it was fresh on my mind and those are both cards that i put in early bids on on like the previous sunday saying oh wow like this is interesting like I'm gen- like I I want to see where these end up at and if they end stupid low then I'll try and get it but of course neither of them ended low. For me the fa- maybe I'm just biased out of not lack of soccer knowledge the Fatih for a second year card was very surprising. I think it's important not to underrate the international market. And although the Wander sale was very low compared to preseason, you know, maybe 20% or so, I was a math minor dropout back in university. Um, I know a PSA 10 Mookie Betts clear acetate out of 10 did, I believe, 12,000 a few weeks ago. And that just makes Wander feel so expensive relative to Mookie. Yeah, I think Mookie's a good cop for Wander always. Uh, I There's saw not, the dude. Yeah, the dude I mean, who Trout, got... Trout has no acetate out of 10. Mookie's the best comparison of an established star. And that Mookie was a PSA 10. Yeah, that's clean. I saw that Mookie on Twitter or on Instagram. I think there's that one dude who has like almost the whole rainbow, I think, minus the platinum. So that was dope to see. Um, I love the acetate out of 10. I think most people just don't even really know those exist. I don't really see them ever in like value then. Like any, I never really see any acetates. But um, Max, did you buy any cards this week? 
I feel like usually we kind of say this, this for this the end, but or BWCC? Can, just this week in general. I I feel like we hate it on cards a lot, not cards, but like kind of where we're at in the market for a lot this in this episode. And I kind of I want to talk about what I did buy because I actually bought a lot of cards. In I Vegas. I bought two cards this week. I got two PSA orders back, and I have another PSA order in QA two. You got a lot of PSA orders coming in now, probably with the new price change, right? You're gonna start doing more. I am part of it is fatigue and that I've went very strong very quickly. And we've discussed my theory with declared values in general that I generally try to push the envelope on the highest value card I can send in declared value. Yeah. Um, I just to go in with your theme, Tommy, and say the brights. Uh, my two eBay cards that I bought this week was a Bones Highland Hollow Optic Auto. These are nice. not numbered, but I love Bones. Bones, Bones has the possibilities to be a big NBA star this year for the hobby. I think it's very good to tra- – because, like, those breakout stars, like, possibly Bones, their high end is still extremely expensive, but their low end is also, like, worthless. So trying to find the medium of also something that's rareish. I've been looking at optic autos in general for grading. I mean, and finding – I think the Bones Highland Hol- – Bones Highland – Hollow Auto, not to be confused with Erling Holland. Um, it was 150 bucks. Sure, I'll take my shot. And I don't want to put myself in a corner too much, but I found a Mike Trout 1987 Topps Chrome Red out of five that I bought from this week. Has a soft corner. Um, I'll see it more once it's in hand, but that was cool. I'm targeting rare trouts, especially with this Topps Chrome release. And I, in general, like buying rare, wacky stuff. Um, continuing with the positive theme, I love these two cards that I got back from PSA this week. A PSA 10 Tops Pristine Ichiro Orange Auto out of 25. 21st is, year of Ichiro. 21st year Ichiro, as our favorite lawnmower would say, um, Saratoga Slabs, who's an avid listener of the podcast. And I got a Jalen Brunson Cracked Ice Auto, that PSA 10. I bought it a few months back. At PSA 10, and that's going to be my fun Knicks card for the season until someone cashes me out. I hope he does well. I hope, really hope he does well, and that he's finally the best point guard of the Knicks since, I don't know, Raymond Felton or earlier. But this is not a sports analysis podcast. Those cards have me excited. I love your Mets cl- or your not your fucking, fuck me, your Mets collecting, your Knicks collecting. I love your Knicks collecting, Max, because. You are, I think anyone our age who's a Knicks fan is just sad. They're just sad people. They, they have nothing but sadness in their life and have only ever seen sadness. But you found some uh, ways of brightening your collection with some Knicks cards, Max. I don't know if we've ever even talked about your little project that you're doing that you posted about. Can you tell everyone what your, what your project is with I, the Knicks? I don't think we have discussed. And I have a new buy for it today to shout out Watch the Breaks who are buying it through me on ComC with his ComC credit. And I have to then mow him after the show. But I am trying to do a, on and off, do a full Knicks Silver Prism PSA 10 run. It was a project that I started at like 2020-ish. And we had a big card from the order that tend a 2012 Northwestern legend Tommy, would you like to do the honors and educate the podcast? Yes, I will. I will educate the people. I just was hyped up for a second. Um, Max, 
So Max bought a PSA 10. Or no, you graded this yourself, right? It was the one raw copy on eBay. And Amazing. I inclu- and I included it in my July special national $18 sub. So we all know 2012 Prism, iconic set, some would say. Um, there is a Northwestern legend. Northwestern, I historically terrible at basketball. Hard to collect basketball cards at Northwestern people, as I know very well. But Max picked up a silver John Sherna, Northwestern all-time leading scorer John Sherna who somehow sneaked into this 2012 Prism set, which is sneaky, massive checklist, massive checklist on 2012 Prism. Lots of rookies as well. A lot of rookies, a lot of dudes who barely even saw the league are in that set, which is kind of funny. But uh, yeah, you got a PSA 10 on the only raw copy on eBay. You submitted it yourself. I'm hyped for that addition to your Knicks PSA 10 silver run. Uh, What are some of the other ones you got so far? I believe that's a pop three for the (laughs) the – that's an investment. Um, That's an investment. That, that is an investment piece for someone who wants, like, if 2012, I mean, 2012 Prism might become the next 86 flare, but if someone wants, like, a full Prius A10 Prism set, that'd be pretty wicked if they tried to attempt that, and that would be a key card, because, like, even those bums, sorry, Tommy, those bums, no one really is going to send them to grade except psychos who want full career runs. Um, the constraints for the set is only that, like, they have to be in a Knicks jersey when they're playing. Or excuse me, when the they card, are on the card, card in the card, it's, a, it's only rookie cards you're doing, right? Yeah, now. I have like rookie Knicks PSA 10. So, yeah, rookie Knicks PSA 10s. Like Jerry and Grant counts. I already know Jerry and Grant was always a Nick, and that was the one that I just got lately. Um, but I have like an Ignis Presentikis card. I don't think he's ever played a game with the Knicks, but no, he did, he played he played some games, but he was not uh, he was very in, long. He was in G League. I don't know if he ever played games. I think he played. He got up, but like he had a prism rookie, so that counts. Like if you have a PSA ten, if you have a rookie card in a next uniform in prism, you're gonna try to get. Okay, can confirm he's played thirteen total Knicks games, and that was it. (laughs) (laughs) He has played forty two games on the on the. I bet that I bet that's more games than John Sherina played for the Knicks, though, dude. I'll look. But um, some of the highlights include. A Clee Anthony early silver prism that I sent out in a 2020 PSA 10 bulk sub, and that is a pop one. And I right now I'm still holding out RJ Barrett and Kristaps Porzingis until they become cheaper. Think uh, for better or worse, the Knicks rookies are getting better as the Knicks fall lower in the draft lottery <laughs> each year. So that makes more people want to grade them and makes me not have to send them out to grade myself as well as more people grading them. I knew there is Ignis Pradzikis, which I bought off someone else on eBay uh, maybe over a year ago. I'm like, okay, I don't need to send this in. This card's going to be worthless, worthless, and I'm going to be able to buy it off someone. Yeah. Well, but, all right. Can I blow your mind real quick? John Cherna? Yes, John Cherna. He Scherna. was waived at the end of the preseason. Of the, with the Knicks, never even played a game, even in the G League for the Knicks. Only was on the preseason, like half roster. So that's how much it took to get in 2012 Prism. All you had to do was play some preseason games, get cut, and then you were on the list. <laughs> Just for future reference, 2012 Prism. I'll keep that in mind set, during my set. NBA career. Yeah, well, when you get your own Knicks PSA 10 Prism, I will. But the there. hardest ones to get will be Tim Hardaway Jr who is surprisingly difficult to find. There are not many clean copies. I haven't been able to locate a PSA 10 and that he's from Giannis year. He's from 2013. So second year prism, still tough to find. And then Iman Shumpert, who is in that technically a rookie, 
even though he debuted in 2011, the stats from 2012. I think just a, he's a staple for a lot of Knicks fans from that era, even though he amassed to very little. I feel like he, Amon Shumpert was like the glorified 3 and D guy who just didn't have a great career. Someone who had a lot of okay potential. Who was, he, he was not actually good at shooting three-pointers. <laughs> but he got a ring with the Cavs, and that's cool. And everyone knows his big poofy hair from those 2011-2012 Knicks. Yeah. For me, it's um, La- Landry Fields and Amon Shumpert are the two goaded Knicks players in my mind. That's fair. That's a good way of doing it. Um, an early career Carmelo or Knicks Lamelo would be cool. Yeah, I know we've talked a little bit about your Carmelo Knicks. Yes, but throughout the there's year. still some cracks to fill. Part of it due to cost. Part of it due to these cards are of absolute nobodies and no one's going to grade them. And finding a raw one in clean condition is very hard. But that fact that the John Sharna PSA 10 and that my Anthony early PSA 10 pop three and pop one. I think I'm making a good run on the sets registry. If only someone doesn't crush me with a gold prism set of every player that I'm chasing. That's really <laughs> the one way to one up me because golds are the one parallel that have existed for just well, as long as silver. If you ever see a gold prism John Sherna, I'm a buyer. I'm the buyer for that card. So someone let me know. But Max, I'm I know there that- was yeah. No, no, you're good. No, oh, I know that an Amon Shumpert gold prism 2012 sold yeah an amon Shumpert gold prism 2012 psa 10 pop one sold for a thousand dollars fuck actually no just get wait i see total two i'm gonna say a thousand one copy sold for a thousand that's nuts i am glad we finally informed the listeners on this project i can't believe it took till episode 23 but i'm sure there's projects we haven't talked about that i just assume we've talked about it takes a very long time for me to make any step in this submission now that value subs are back i can make steps but the fact that we got two bi- i mean the most recently the shorn a big psa 10 for this project we're now at eight cards sold i have damian dotman i have alonzo trier i have obviously kevin knox we're cooking this is a cookout and i'm having a nice hamburger and i'm gonna also join you with a hamburger but max i think the thing that i respect the most about your collecting strategy and philosophy is how patient you are. You won't just buy things to buy things for your collection or whatever. You're very patient in making sure that you're getting good deals. I know whenever you pick up a Glaber card, it's for like way less than half comps or whatever, some nuts, but I I found a rare opportunity where it was a base Glaber PSA 10. It was a silver pack PSA 10 and it was for 20 bucks and I passed on it and I'm like, Ooh, I need this for like the Glaber set registry purposes that I haven't officially tried filling out. I probably would make a good chunk on that. Maybe that's a project. Are you? But, well, I was a part of a nice little rack for you, Max, this week where we you say were, uh, from our you boy were. Frank Lubati was selling a Glaber Torres Heritage Black Border, um, not numbered, right? Black Border is not numbered. Black Border, not numbered, but print run of 50. I print run of 50. A value box from this. And- yes. I know these heritage weird these weird heritage parallels like these black borders. I know the silver slate Juan Soto that you got a while ago is kind of another one of these examples. The non-numbered heritage parallels are kind of biased sometimes. And Frank put what a, a Glaber up. Glaber's been cooking for the Yankees lately. So me and Saratoga Slabs and I think Logan was in on it too. We all we all pitched in and got got Max a nice little PC ad for the playoffs. I know 
we've been hating on cards, but there's good people in cards. We're doing fun stuff. And Max's Glaber PC got a little brighter this week. Uh, Max, what are you going to do with that Glaber? Are you going to grade it maybe? Probably not grade it. First, I mean, now that $18 sub, I mean, what I used to do during like COVID era, this when it was $8 a card, I would just send out most of my Glabers to get slabbed. Even the ones that, especially like even like the non-rookie cards, I would hope for a 10, but I wouldn't necessarily need a 10 on that. Um, That's like less than the cost of a meal, like eight bucks, like whatever at that point. Yeah. I mean, that, that was just great. At this point, I still am evaluating what to do with the Glaber slab collection. But I know oh. it's too high, too high tier and too high caliber of a card to throw in a binder. That's for sure. Yeah. Maybe a one touch rare in your world. Rare one touch moment. But uh, Max, I bought some cards this week in Vegas. Tell me your cards. And let me tell you. So I, our homie Jason Dardick, head grader at DCI, I uh, got, had a few cards raw reviewed by him and that I bought in Vegas. Uh, Jason's a great guy, friend of both of us, who is doing some cool stuff with DCI, and I wanted to see what he, his opinion was. I never grade, no, rarely grade cards at all. So these were more just like PC cards. I wanted to see what he thought their grade were, and I could shoot some content with him filming about why they got the certain grades. But I got this Logan Webb Bowman Paper Orange out of 25. The listeners know I'm all about orange parallels with the Giants. Any orange parallel, I'll try to get my hands on. And I have a few other Logan Webb rookies, rookie parallels that I'm going to sell off to pay for this one. It was only like 25, 30 bucks, but I'm trying to do be better about making sure I'm refunding myself or like, you know, make, selling cards that I don't want as much as these main PC cards to afford them. Um, I got this Clay Thompson Red Hot 2013 Select, one of the best insert sets of all time. Red Hot 2013 Select, check it out if you've never seen them. I got a Prism out of 25. It's a Silver Prism out of 25, but it's a jersey numbered 11 out of 25, which I thought was really awesome. I had this guy, this dealer from the Bay Area, Todd, was there. He had a bunch of raw j- Warriors that I just The biggest salivating. question is, did he know it was a jersey number when he sold it to you? He did. Um, it was on the thing, and it definitely sold out a premium. But an out of 45 or out of 50, I want to say, green Prism sold for like basically 100 i got this for 80 bucks um i'm feeling good about that i wasn't really going in trying to buy clay cards but jersey numbered out of 25 early panini one of my favorite insert sets um seemed like a buy to me and his jersey numbered i mean you know i didn't even say what the grades they got so this logan webb orange got a nine from dci the select got an eight because of some damage on the or some scratches on the back and i bought tiger woods promo rookie um, I'm not exactly sure what this card is called, but it, Time People, I think, is the main name for it. But so I think it's an Asian release promo card. It got a seven because of some crashes, but it kind of looks, it's probably the coolest looking Tiger card. There's an actual Tiger in the background. It looks sick. Um, I was hyped about that buy for 40 bucks. Um, I got it from a Tiger collector who was set up, who he said he had a PSN 9 back home, didn't really care about this one anymore. I scooped it up for 40. I felt like that was a good deal. Um, I bought this Kevin Durant 2008 Tops Gold. Um, out of 2008 yeah second year Durant so something that I've been playing around with is just like the tops gold everyone like I love those Um, Durant I picked up his rookie gold out of 2007 earlier this summer so getting the second year gold seemed like an easy move and for less than 40 bucks seemed like a buy I'm gonna pick up his 2009 tops gold and complete his very short tops gold run of career for Durant at some point yeah, it reminds me of when we were talking about continuity and the importance of having longevity in your cards. But then at the converse, 
stops stuff with basketball is has prism start in the middle of many players' careers and pops and also in the middle of many players' careers. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a that kind of fucks modern basketball collectors a lot. I think we've talked about like the weirdness of Panini and, but I think that transition period because that's going to always be my zone of like guys that I love and will want to collect forever. I've assumed like I will always be towing the line between Tops and Panini with Durant. My strategy with Durant cards um, as a Warriors fan are Warriors uniforms and then Tops products. So either Sonics uniforms early thunder with the top stuff or later career warrior stuff um durant's tough for me because he was such a big part of the warriors runs but um his career is kind of just weird but i do respect him a lot and maybe we'll talk about that in another episode um other pickups though real quick uh, i got this red 75th anniversary prism of dennis schroeder the reason i bought this it's out of 75 it's because steph is clearly in the background just chilling out um one of the coolest parallels from Prism this year, the red 75th anniversary out of 75. So, well, is, getting it, one... is it Steph Curry jersey numbered? <laughs> no, it's not Steph Curry jersey numbered, but Steph Curry in the background. I, that card for Steph is probably like 100 plus bucks. So, getting this for like three bucks was like just kind of fun to have. And I also shout out refs in the back on Twitter, one of the goaded collectors out there. Um, other ones I got, I got this uh, McCovey patch, four color patch, Willie McCovey game worn back in the day. Um, this is gonna be a birthday. This is gonna be a Christmas present for my dad, who's a big Willie McCovey fan. So I was hyped about that. And then I'll end my pickups with this uh, from the week with the or no, I have two more. Draymond Green, Draymond Green, who I'm waiting for the drop in price and all this stuff. So if you want to liquidate Draymond Green stuff from the fight, hit me up. But I got this championship moments out of 99. We've talked about this set a little bit. Uh, championship moments, one of the coolest insert sets that ta- or Panini has done with basketball. All of them are serial numbered out of 99 and all picture of the guy holding a trophy. Uh, we got Draymond. It's usually the whole team who won a title the year before. Um, but the last pickup that I'll talk about this week was one that was inspired by you a little bit, Max. Um, I picked up a Ronald Acuna Gold Cup Black out of 67. It's from Update, so it's not his like official base card from 2019, but it's the Update one blowing the bubble while hitting a home run. One of his coolest images I think I've seen on a on a card and i felt like black parallel for 40 but for less than 40 bucks shipped seemed like an easy money buy for my gold cup pc i'll have to sell off a couple other acuna gold cups that i have to get it but to pay for it but easy money buy you know we love black parallels here young old head podcast sponsored by black parallels right max sponsored by black parallels but that was my long-winded answer for what i bought this week i felt like I felt really excited about this week, dude, honestly. And selfishly, as a collector, I am hyped for the downturn in the market. I love buying stuff for cheap, and I will continue to collect cards throughout this entire time, even if the market dies. So, I think it's interesting that your rationale to collecting is, oh, I just found this cool card, and it was at a great value, so I bought it, and I threw it in my binder. Well, mine is like not out of one thing, one's better than the other, just out of comparison's sake. But mine's like, I need to get this really really stupid obscure card in a PSA 10 third party label that probably won't exist. <laughs> yeah, I think the key, I think the key difference between me and you is that you love grades, you love getting your I random don't love grades. No, Dude. no, but you like having weird shit in PSA 10 labels, which I mad respect to you for doing and I think is a cool way of collecting. But you care way more about that than I do. Like, I think I, I told you, like, 
from the aforementioned like 2020 bulk modern, not ultra modern, modern sub at like $12 per. I had a Carmelo Anthony 2012 or maybe, maybe I mean, 2011, 2012, that's where the break point is. But his Carmelo Anthony's Knicks hoops card. And that, to my knowledge, is his first card in a Knicks uniform. And I, at the time I submitted it, it was pop zero. Now it's pop two with me being one of the two. And having that in the PSA 10, I think is very cool, even though it's like a $3 card raw. Yeah, exactly. And that's something I would never give a fuck about. Like, I don't care about, you know, first cards really in jerseys and stuff. Well, I'm, like, a, I'm a Knicks fan. No, I know. I know. It's like I an know. oddity. You know, I don't know why you're so defensive about this. This is just how yeah. you are, bro. This is who you are. You just love PSA 10s and you love weird shit, bro. You have all your minor league PSA 10s. You have, you got your Carmelo first, first. I think it's Knicks a way to assert because cards at the end of the day are flexing to an extent and that you want people to hear and hear your collection is cool. And, in a world where there's no parallels or very, very few parallels, the way to say that your card is better than another or even your card is better than theoretical others is by condition. Is your card better than theoretical other cards? That's a good one. <laughs> I have the best cards on the planet. I feel like that's like when people go like, what would theoretically a Joe Montana rookie National Treasures shield go for? And it's like, well, I, who the fuck knows, dude? That's yeah, it's way like, too oh, crazy of a question. Yeah, but we're into the stratosphere. We're worldwide. We're universe-wide. We're universe-wide. And, uh, yeah, we have listeners across the world. We have had listeners in other countries, from what I can tell on our uh, stats that we get about who listens to the podcast. But that's We love everyone. We love everybody. And uh, thanks for for listening this week, guys. Uh, I know it wasn't probably the most optimistic episode of all time but it was i think we try to save it here at the end with these card talks you know we we will always end our conversations with whatever cards we're buying and trading with at the at the time so what is on your plate for this upcoming week oh dude i don't i'm a shell of a human being bro i have barely even checked in with what my brain is capable of this week so we'll have to figure that out uh as it goes how about you dude i meant more like card show wise no shows. oh no no shows no shows what are you like once a show, like once every three weeks, give or take? Yeah, I think we'll be, sl- I'll be slowing down my travel for going to shows in the next few months for sure. I think there'll probably only be maybe one or two more trips the rest of the year. Okay, great. Have your people tell my people. I'll have my people call your people. And I have a show, 300 tables on Long Island, not a long commute. I have some cards to pack at RCR and experiment with and dabble with, and that should be fun. I also have at least one item to give to JSA to get autograph authenticated. Uh, Alex Powell, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, was an indie car racer who was in potential to get this one of the seats for McLaren. Mm-hmm. And he didn't get the seat, but he signed with them as like kind of, I think he has a reserve driver or some of the development programs, something like that. But he has... At the time when it was like speculated that he might go to McLaren and then Ergo might get the seat, I bought like two postcards of just his car and then his autograph on it. I think they were like 15 bucks each, but they weren't authenticated. I got like a PSA quick approval check and for like 10 bucks, and they said the autos are likely legit. I may drop them off at JSA just to get it like official legit. I don't know what in the world they'd be comparing to since he is a IndyCar car driver, but that should be fun. 
that is really random and I love it. So I'm excited to hear what happens on the show for you next week. And next week, another episode of Card Talks and discussing cards, uh, providing a young young slash new perspective on an old hobby. We will see you guys next week. Make sure to follow at young underscore old heads on Twitter and at young old heads podcast on Instagram and TikTok. So see you guys next week. Aaron Judge. Roger Maris Jr. <laughs>